Fuzzles, the story of a puppy, by G. B. Bergen. Coffee Break Collection 29, Dogs. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by William Jones, Benita Springs, Florida. Fuzzles, the story of a puppy. What you want? said the family friend, as he looked around our pretty little rooms with that supremely aggravating air of toleration which the family friend always considers he is privileged to assume. What you want is a dog, just to take off the loneliness, as it were, of being all by yourself. My wife interrupted the family friend. Why, we have been married only a month, uncle, and, indignantly, we are not lonely. Ah, yes, my dear, replied our avuncular relative. That's all very well. I've been married myself, twice, and I know what it is like. There's nothing so useful to a young, newly married couple as a dog which tones with the furniture and helps to provide a common topic of conversation. It will also keep your husband from going to the club, and he's given up his club. Don't interrupt, my dear. He'll go back to it. They always begin by giving up everything and gradually going back again. It is a way young newly married men have had from time immemorial. I was young myself once and did the same thing. You must get a dog for him. If he hears the watchdog's honest bark baying a deep-mouthed welcome to the intrusive grocer's boy or milkman and all that kind of thing, it will lend an added zest to domesticity, so to speak. You take my advice, he frowned portentously, as much as to say, if you fail to do so, then never more be legatees of mine, and buy a dog. If I don't see that dog here the next time I come to stay with you, I, I, I candidly, I shall cut you off without a shilling, we expected him to add, but he hesitated and didn't. Be extremely disappointed, extremely. Then he went away and left us gazing somewhat blankly at one another. I suppose we must get a dog, dear, said my wife. You know what your uncle is when roused. If he wanted us to keep a tame megatherium or an ornithorhyenchus on the back lawn, we should have to do it. But, my dear girl, how am I to exercise this little beast? I come home tired, and I want to write stories. The time not occupied in writing stories I devote to you, and then there'll be this little brute yapping aloud for exercise. Just fancy how pleasant it will be when I'm comfortably settled down in my armchair, if you remind me that I must rise and go for miles through suburban Hornsey, leading the dog with a string or allowing him to lead me. I shall be taken for a blind man, and have people offer me coppers. Uncle Peter's a pompous purple old. A pretty hand was laid upon my lips. Your Uncle Peter has been very kind to us, dear, and I should rather like having a little dog here when you are away all day. Of course, that ended the discussion. The matter presented itself to me in a new light. To please my wife, I would have bought a Newfoundland or a St. Bernard 
already fitted up with life-saving appliances and ready for action there must be some poor wretched dog at the battersea home who would be glad to make my acquaintance or at least would tolerate me for a few hours every evening i decided to go to battersea the next day and buy something canine ten shillings i believe is the usual price charged there utterly irrespective of weight moral character or antecedents i bought two dogs in rapid succession but the cold weather was against them and they developed every possible complaint except hydrophobia they had to be sent back to battersea and the officials there seemed to think that those dogs would soon get over their troubles and end life's pilgrimage in a comfortably painless manner just as i was preparing to start for battersea the third time i lived there on and off for about a week and began to be looked upon as a sporting character by all the guards on the metropolitan extension in came my friend p blank the editor of a well-known illustrated paper p blank carried an animated bundle of something under his arm it looked like a small doormat but one end of it waggled and from the other end shone out two intensely black eyes filled with dancing light p blank proudly deposited his bundle on the carpet it sat up on the waggling end two silky ears erected themselves in a perfectly inquisitive manner and i saw that my visitor was a puppy of about four months old affection's offering p blank said proudly we couldn't come to the wedding as we were away at the time so cast about for one of our most precious possessions to give you i've brought it along he pointed to the puppy which suddenly became very grave as if it realized that the matter was now assuming a more personal complexion what's that i asked tisn't a dog you uh, have really the audacity to call that a dog it's more like berlin wool-work than anything else did you think it was a giraffe p blank answered somewhat testily it is a very valuable pedigree prick-eared sky terrier pup with many good points i picked up the soft silky bundle why he hasn't a point about him he's as soft and round as a ball of silk we call him george augustus sala said p blank because he always wears a white waistcoat and he pointed to the puppy's white breast i never knew any other pup of the breed to have a white waistcoat it is unique never been done before this pup is something exceptional we think he has a future before him will it want washing the waistcoat i mean occasionally now would you mind playing with him it diverts his attention p blank handed me an india-rubber ball just throw it carelessly about as if you were doing it merely to oblige him until i can get out of the office without his knowing it my wife is crying at home crying what for because she can't bear to part with him he has been a great deal to us but we have his mother and cannot keep more than one dog they gnaw at furniture and then we have to get fresh things which becomes expensive if you throw the ball into that corner and smile i will bolt while he waddles after it 
I took the ball, and P. Blank hurriedly faced himself. George Augustus attracted a good deal of attention that evening in the train. Before I reached Hornsey, he was on friendly terms with all the people in the carriage, particularly one old lady whose bonnet strings he affectionately chewed for the greater part of the journey. She kissed him at parting, and gave me her card. "'If the dear little fellow should ever want a home,' she said, "'write to me, and I will come for him, even if it should be in the middle of the night.' I promised I would do so, smuggled George Augustus under my coat, and when I reached home, hurriedly placed him on my wife's lap, where he lay, looking up into her face with his wonderful eyes, eyes soft and sweet, yet full of quaint owlish solemnity. "'I am here,' they seemed to say. "'Now what have you to say about it?' I must confess to feeling rather a jealous pang as my wife hugged that puppy, and he cordially responded by licking her nose. After her rapture had subsided a little, "'What are we going to call him?' she asked. Well, "'His name is George Augustus Sala.' "'Then it must be changed,' returned my wife, with prompt decision. "'A little wee baby thing like this shall not be called such a long name. Shall it be Fuzzy Wuzzy?' "'You hit upon it at once. Don't you remember Kipling's, "'Here's to you, Fuzzy Wuzzy, with your hayrick head of hair?' "'He does look more like a miniature hayrick than anything else.' Fuzzy Wuzzy, however, soon degenerated into fuzzles. Unsympathizing friends who noticed his appetite said that it ought to be guzzles. But this we resented, and it soon came to be an understood thing that no remarks of disparaging nature were to be made about our puppy. For three months he was a constant joy to us. It was absurd to call fuzzles a mere animal for he had all the intelligence of a self-willed child varied with lovable fits during the continuance of which we felt that so saintly a dog could not live long at breakfast and dinner he sat on a chair by my wife's side and was allowed to have bits of bread at the conclusion of the repast for some time he would control his impatience and sit silent but as we neared the end of the meal he began to give short sharp barks and then look around with an unconscious air, as if they had proceeded from some other animal altogether. Soon he developed a rooted antipathy to cats, and was never happier than within a foot of an old Tom's tail as it disappeared through our garden palings. But at length there came a day when even cats could not rouse fuzzles. He lay about listlessly, with no appetite, and indisposed to move. "'Don't you think I ought to give him some beef-tea?' asked my wife. And we gave him beef-tea accordingly, although it bored him very much. This went on for a fortnight. Fuzzles crawled about, as if he could scarcely drag one paw after the other. Suddenly he recovered his former spirits, and became more winning than ever. A fortnight later he began to shiver decline to touch food, and get as thin as the proverbial herring. At last my wife carried him off to a veterinary college, and asked what was the matter with Fuzzles. "'We can't take him in here,' said the doctor. 
as you don't subscribe to the institution. However, if you will call on my friend Dr. H., he will look after your puppy. It's a very bad case of pneumonia and distemper. My wife took a cab and drove to Dr. H.'s. Dr. H. was not at home, but she left Fuzzles in charge of a domestic and sorrowfully came home. The next morning we received a telegram. Please fetch puppy, or will fret himself to death. We'll attend him at your house. We immediately posted off to fetch Fuzzles, who greeted us with momentary rapture, and then nestled into my wife's arms and shut his suffering eyes. We took him home and made him a flannel jacket through which his stumpy little legs were always working in unexpected places. He had beef tea every two hours, a powerful tonic every four. His head was also held over a jug of boiling water four times a day. After the second experiment with the boiling water, Fuzzles gave up struggling against it. "'Very well,' he seemed to say as I lifted him up on the kitchen table. "'If you like to parboil me alive, you can do so. It doesn't make much difference. Give me some more minced steak afterward. That's the only thing I really like. But I wish you'd let me alone. I've such a lot of things to think over.' this jacket among others, and that fiend in the spectacles who's always jabbing spoons down my throat. Well, this went on for ten days. At last it became evident to me that Fuzzles was beloved of the gods who meant to call him hence. On the evening before his death, directly I knocked on the door, there was a shambling sound in the passage, and Fuzzles, a wraith in white fennel, crawled slowly along the hall toward the front door, but lay down halfway with a feeble wag of his tail. I picked him up and carried the poor little wasted thing back to the kitchen where Eliza the maid wept over him without concealment. "'He's been in to say good-bye to Mrs. Sir,' she said. "'Twice this afternoon he's crawled into the drawing-room and laid his head against her dress just looking solemn-like and not saying nothing he's a-goin fast sir you mark my words he's a-goin fast the next morning fuzzles had a fit and the doctor sent for a chemist with instructions to bring and administer poison fuzzles took the poison languidly rolled over on his side with slowly glazing baby eyes, gave one sigh, and was no more. When I returned in the evening, I found Eliza sitting in the kitchen, her apron over her head, and Fuzzle's customary corner vacant. My wife was on the verge of tears. Someone knocked at the front door, and we both started nervously. It's the boy come to take Fuzzles away, said my wife, clutching my arm. We heard the boy's heavy, lumbering steps go slowly down the passage, and presently he came blundering back. Then he knocked the box against the wall and half-dropped poor Fuzzles, but recovered himself with an effort. It sounds like a coffin being taken away, said my wife. 
The boy's footsteps receded across the hall. He noisily slammed to the door. We heard the front gate open. His footsteps grew fainter and fainter, and Eliza came in with her best black bonnet on. "'What's the matter, Eliza?' I asked. Eliza checked a fresh outburst with difficulty. "'It ain't right not to see him buried, sir. Won't you and the missus come, too?' We all crept after the boy at a respectful distance until he entered the field, which he had selected for Fuzzle's last resting place. From behind an ancient oak we watched the interment with mingled emotions. At length the boy patted down the sod with his spade, and went away blithely whistling. Then Eliza, my wife, and I crept homeward through the shadows, feeling almost as if we had lost a child. End of Fuzzles, the story of a puppy.